District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Energy and conservation news is largely taking a backseat to what is happening in the Middle East, Hamas's war on Israel. And we have some very interesting discussions and topics to share with you guys. Next week, we're going to talk about natural asset companies, something that I have started to focus on, and we're going to bring back Margaret Byfield to talk about it. But this week, we're going to largely talk about a climate environmental adjacent topic as it relates to the Hamas war on Israel and a incident implicating young climate activist Greta Thunberg. The Swedish activist who was propped up by the United Nations, all these corporations, conglomerates, activist groups, and she's not the only type of young person, especially young female, that the UN and preservationist environmentalists love to herald and prop up and use an example, you know, exploiting someone's youth for preservationist environmentalism and climate alarmism, which are largely overlapping in many, many cases. But with the case of Greta Thunberg, let's go to a tweet she did last week. This is her commentary on the war perpetrated by Hamas on Israel. She had two tweets. One featured an octopus, which is an anti-Semitic trope. I didn't know this. I should know this being of Jewish ancestry, but there's so much propaganda, anti-Jewish propaganda. I try not to pay attention, but she included an octopus, said it was a, a symbol of disabilities, and then she deleted the tweet of the with the same context, but she had the same words. Week 270, today we strike in solidarity with Palestine and Gaza. The world needs to speak up and call for immediate ceasefire, justice, and freedom for Palestinians and all civilians affected. Quote, hashtag free Palestine. I stand with Palestine. Stand with Gaza. Fridays for future thread. So why am I pointing out that a climate activist like Greta and her opposition to Israel, how does it relate to conservation? How does it relate to climate? How does it relate to the podcast? Here's where the connection exists. And then I'm going to also go into Israel's response and how it relates to curriculums in the schools here in the United States and elsewhere featuring this young woman and the mistake in doing that. We're seeing an overlap between fighting climate with support for Palestine or Gaza or Hamas, which are often used interchangeably because when you shake people down and say, do you support Hamas? They can't admit it, but they are supporting those in Gaza who are wreaking havoc and terror on Israelis without any reservation. So you can assume that most of these people have no qualms with what Hamas is doing, using innocence as shields, killing, murdering people. And if you're thinking in terms of politics, why would these two interests align? Israel, which is one of, I would say, the most environmentally friendly, cutting-edge countries, desalinization, very technologically advanced, looking for solutions to fix different problems. Why would people who claim to be fighting climate change support terrorists over Israel? Makes absolutely no sense, but it relates really well with intersectionality because of oppression. These activists like Greta Thunberg think that it's imperative to side with people who they think are victimized. They are certainly victimized by Hamas, but not Israel, obviously. But they think that Israel is the enemy here when in fact it's Hamas. 
And so what did Israel do in response to Ms. Thunberg's tweet? Israel decided to cancel in what some critics of Israel are saying, cancel Ms. Thunberg. I think it's a wise decision. They're free to do what they want to do. We're seeing people here in the United States use and exercise free speech, all power to them, but free speech doesn't come without repercussions here in the United States. And thankfully, we're seeing companies and individuals respond by not hiring people who sympathize with terrorists, some of whom are climate activists, interestingly enough, and, you know, exercising their free speech too, to not hire people who have reprehensible views. That's the beautiful thing. We can't unfortunately stamp these views out in the United States, although there is some loopholes and we won't delve into that here, where if you are advocating for terrorism, it actually does not have First Amendment protections from what I understand, from what lawyers have said. But as it relates to this podcast, let me get back to the stream of things. Here is how Israel's education minister responded to Greta Thunberg's tweet and why they decided to remove her from curriculum as an icon for fighting climate change. And this is from the Jerusalem Post, which is one of the major publications in Israel. And this is dated yesterday, and it was updated this morning. Israel removes Greta Thunberg from school curriculum over anti-Israel post. And their tagline reads, more than 100 signatures were included in an open letter sent to her, and several activists responded to her on X, or what is known as Twitter formerly. And their article reads, the education ministry in Israel has said it will remove any reference to climate activist Greta Thunberg after she published a post over the weekend holding an anti-Israel sign reading, quote, stand with Gaza, end quote. Hamas is a terrorist organization responsible for the murder of 1,400 innocent Israelis, including children, women, and the elderly, and it has abducted over 200 people to Gaza, the ministry said. This stance disqualifies her from being an educational and moral role model, and she is no longer eligible to serve as an inspiration and educator for Israeli students, end quote. And I read for you her reprehensible tweet, and there was a follow-up letter, including some from female environmental leaders in Israel, who said that they were deeply hurt, shocked, and disappointed with your tweets and posts regarding Gaza, and that Tunberg should look again at the atrocities conducted by Hamas. One of the people who signed on to the letter said, Greta Thunberg is the most well-known climate activist in the world today. In her influential position, Greta has expressed a one-sided and inconsistent stance, completely ignoring the cruel acts endured by Israeli citizens and the abductions of hundreds of people. Due to her position, when Greta addresses a different topic superficially and dismissively, it inevitably weakens the validity of her climate-related positions, the statement continued. People from all walks of life might think that the shallowness she displayed on the other issue should cast doubt on the seriousness and depth of her climate activism. Those with vested interests could exploit this to portray climate activists as unserious and lacking depth. Therefore, even without addressing the ethical and moral implications she ignored, Greta is no longer a role model for us in the climate change context. We have plenty of other role models to look up to, essentially, is what they say. Now, I don't know if Israelis and those outside of America are aware or really pay attention. And they mentioned this in the article that her support of Gaza and Hamas, by extension, would weaken climate activism. And it does. But this shouldn't be the only qualifier that makes her not really a authority figure on climate science. A lot of what she espouses can be easily debunked in terms of the Celsius temperature decrease 
that is needed to stave off climate change is they say if you were to destroy the economy and reduce the temperature by two degrees Celsius or 1.5 degrees Celsius is what they're aiming for, you won't achieve that even when you restructure the economy with a so-called Green New Deal. You only reduce maybe two-tenths of a Celsius degree if you're lucky. That is what different figures and studies have shown. That's what a lot of climate activists do not admit to. But she definitely propagates that, and that point can be easily debunked. She says we have to get rid of fossil fuels in order to have a just and clean environment. That is easily debunked as well. Coal, oil, and gas are still part of the electric grid, and they're often used to back up solar and wind. So it's a necessary component to even these so-called renewables as well. And she has had many other very questionable views that climate activists do not challenge whatsoever because they worry that criticizing her may be construed as some sort of criticism at her personally, but it's not. It's criticizing her ideas. And when I wrote an article in the Washington Examiner a few months ago on the five-year anniversary of a tweet when she said essentially that the world's going to end by five years to this date, I refuted her claim and I got so much hate leveled at me. I didn't attack her personally. I just attacked her ideas and her really lofty faulty prediction that never came true. And a Huffington Post reporter, who's pretty nasty, said that I was half-baked. That was the best criticism he could give me, which is funny because there are worse things people could say about me and it's not about me, but I was called half-baked for criticizing her prediction gone awry. And if you level any criticism against her, this is what often happens. And I did it very tenderly and very gently But Israelis, and I hope other people involved in environment and conservation issues, can start to dismiss this young person and not treat her as a serious authority figure and maybe question some of the alarmism that they're inclining themselves to because she is not representative of environmentalism, especially not here in the United States. She's not from here. She's from Sweden. She's not representative of environmentalism globally. There are far better activists that you could point to. She does not recognize and acknowledge the contributions of hunters and anglers. Although in one area, we do find some rare agreement. She wants to keep and protect reindeer from, I believe it is uh, onshore wind projects in Norway or one of those Nordic countries. So there we actually do have some agreement because green projects like this can actually displace wildlife and interrupt migration corridors. And so we have a rare overlap there, but she never talks really about hunters and anglers. Um, She really has an anti-capitalist, anti-fossil fuel perspective. And I think Israel had to learn the hard way with the war that they're facing right now, a horrible war that I hope that they win. I have family there. I like Israel. I want them to prevail. And what's happening in the Middle East will also have effects here related to our energy policies. Absolutely. OPEC. Uh, pressuring our government, this president exhausting our strategic petroleum reserve, which is supposed to only be used in emergencies, them keeping oil and gas in the ground, refusing to develop reserves and offer more leases and what have you, and really strangling our potential. Israel, if you guys don't know, also does not have oil reserves. There is one pipeline that exists, and it's from pre- Iran revolutionary days, and I'm going to do more research into this and maybe bring someone who has more expertise on this, but Israel relies mostly on natural gas and they have other uh, forms of energy that they also are able to get as well, but they have natural gas. That's one of their primary sources of energy there. And the enemies of Israel are threatening to destabilize the country by playing with the grid because that's what these malcontents do. 
And so we will have a discussion here in this country about that. Um, why aren't we exporting more energy to countries like Israel? That beats me. A question we should be asking ourselves. So we will see how this conflict plays. So now as it goes back to curriculum and Greta and what have you. And so this is a positive change that Israel is doing this. Now we have to look here at home. Are we going to see this change here? Unfortunately not. And the reason why we're not going to see a change in this is because different schools across the country, K through 12 especially, but colleges already do this. They're already pushing climate alarmism. I was seeing it in my campus when I was an undergrad at UCSD. We had the Clinton Global Initiative. We had net zero pushes, solar and wind, and we were told how bad fossil fuels are. Although a lot of fossil fuel companies were giving money to universities and still do in many cases. But we are not going to see a repudiation of Greta Thunberg in schools here in the America when it comes to climate curriculums because different states are adopting their own curriculum standards as it relates to teaching kids about the environment, climate, what have you. And one example I want to point to you is from New Jersey. It became the first state to require that climate change be taught in nearly all grades and subjects. And this is from a Washington Examiner article from my friend Gary Frankel, who I work with at Young Voices, which is a great program, great incubator. We talk about it all the time. But Gary had written, because he's an education expert, he's studying for his PhD currently, um, he writes that since then, organizations such as New Jersey Climate Education Hub have distributed instructional materials that include subjects such as environmental racism, youth climate action, categorized as climate heroes number two, and emotive art representing how climate change makes us feel. He says that this curriculum adoption is not only going to stay in New Jersey, but it's going to expand to other pilot programs in California, Illinois, and New Mexico who have adopted or are considering similar programs. As he says in the article, I'm going to read more from Gary's article too. And he says that it's not acceptable for schools to use children to re-engineer their parents socially. But that's exactly what climate activists would have schools do. They list, you know, primary targets are conservatives and fathers. Uh, Since they are the demographics perceived to be the most resistant to climate activism, these efforts have become more strident in light of recent research that suggests that conservatives prefer traditional and established order. Conservatives want to conserve things who knew. Even ostensibly centrist organizations such as the Brookings Institution have fallen victim to this movement, Gary writes in the article, A 2020 Brookings report lamented that, quote, entrenched political ideology among adults is a major barrier to shifting public opinion on climate change and thus wide-scale behavioral change towards climate action, end quote. Brookings even argues that schools should avoid using the term, quote, climate change so as to not offend parents, highly resistant political ideologies. It'd be one thing if climate activism in schools was just another passing educational fad that would come and go without doing too much damage. Unfortunately, all the talk about impending climate disaster is shaping the next generation of Americans' mental health, as well as how they view their place in the world. Gary expands and cites another really interesting survey, and here's what I'm going to read for you. The, a 2021 survey published in The Lancet found that 46% of Americans aged 16 to 25 are, quote, very, end quote, or, quote, extremely, end quote, worried about climate change. Even more alarming is that for many respondents, this worry was so extreme that it negatively affected their ability to function in day-to-day life. Many young Americans are also choosing not to have children since they cannot bear to bring others into the world that already terrifies them. If you want to read Gary's article in the Washington Examiner, highly encourage you do. He's a smart cat. Highly recommend you read him. But there's a lot of intersection between education, energy, environment, and I love to point out these confluences and these meetings of the mind 
philosophically rather here on the show because everything is interconnected and they want things to be interconnected so you don't pay attention. But that is how this connection between Greta, Israel, and school curriculums relates. And I hope I laid out a convincing case for you all today. And like I said, I think school curriculums are dabbling in this alarmism. Greta epitomizes alarmism, absolutely. And maybe Israelis are peeling back climate alarmism slowly but surely uh, by not placing trust in her anymore. Why they did so in the first place, I don't know, because there are far better advocates who are not into alarmism, who are far more eloquent, who aren't angry, who aren't fear-mongering on this issue, who can say, you know, here's where climate actually does play a role versus climate not playing a role here. People have to be honest. There's Ryan Maui. He's a meteorologist, and he was previously at NOAA last administration. He's a climatologist. You can have Michael Schellenberger. You can have Dr. Wallace J. Nichols about um, overall environmentalism, how you get people to care about their surroundings, their natural surroundings. Not so much climate, but he talks about how environmentalists, including climatologists, lose people with their alarmism. So there are great examples, great people who have degrees, who are credible, who could break things down? Greta Thunberg is not one of them. And so Israel is learning an important lesson not to herald young children who are unvetted, who are emotional, and who incline themselves to really awful causes. I mean, really. Like I said, Israel is one of the environmental pioneers out there. It's a desert. And they have these innovations for desalinization, for energy use and production. And people like Greta are th- siding with Hamas and Gaza, who don't care about the environment. Their means of environmentalism is destroying everything in their path with weapons. And you see the destruction, not only the human toll destruction there, you see what they do to dogs, you see what they do to wildlife by bombing people, you see what they do with, you know, leveling things, how, what destruction it does to the environment. So spare me, this idea that you can advocate for climate justice and support Hamas. This needs to be called out, and we're going to try to do that here. But that's a good explainer, I think, overview of how all these things are interrelated and why I applaud Israel doing this. Took some guts to do this, but it's time that people start to reject alarmists. Hate that it had to be this way during a tragedy, but you learn a lot in wartime. You learn a lot when there are conflicts. So kudos, Israel. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people. And I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement because that is our way of updating all of you listeners. And we have just hit a thousand followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.